Hey, Exchange family, this is Exchanging Stories. You can just look back at him in thoughtful prayer and say, the author of the universe says that I'm worth his life. Well, Exchange, we are here today. We have our guest, Todd Smar. Hey, Todd. Hey, how's it going? I'm good. I'm uh, really glad that you're here. And uh, obviously, I've enjoyed getting to know you over the uh, past couple years. And probably some of Exchange saw you get baptized on Easter yeah. with the Ransoms, which is fun. And you might have met some of them. Maybe they've uh, served on setup crew with you and you've run them through the paces. Um, but, but some might not know you. Maybe they've seen you. They know who you are. Uh, take a quick second and and tell Exchange a little bit about yourself and, and your family. Okay, sure. Uh, yeah, not catch me on the right day. I'll I'll talk your ear off, but those days are far and few between. But um, my wife is Geraldine. You might have seen her. She's a beautiful, more beautiful on the inside than she is on the outside, and that's saying a lot. Um, Geraldine. Uh, we've been married about a year, got married during the COVID situation, so yeah. it was all virtual, but yeah. hopefully one day we will have Brian sit in front of us yeah. getting yeah. it done. Yeah. Uh, seems to be harder than we think at this point. Anyway, um, <clears throat> I do have, uh, three kids in a previous marriage. Um, Alex and Nathan are my sons and they will be 20 in November and a daughter, Sophie, she'll be 21 on July 1st. Okay. Yeah, and um, and then Ethan is Jerry's son. He uh, just turned twelve, and so I'm going all through the teenage yeah, years all over yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. If if uh, you haven't seen Todd, typically uh, he's there seven forty five on a Sunday, whether he's signed up to be or not. You can you can find him there, uh, kind of running as fast as he can, and get things done. We're really grateful. Uh, for him. One of the things that we talked about earlier this week, uh, just Todd ran by the office and we were talking, is that um, the question that we ask during membership courses is, or during that membership presentation is, keeping it simple, what do you love about Jesus? And we were talking about that, I don't know, a couple of days ago. And you said, man, I, I could have said so much more. So this is your chance, Todd. So <laughs> it, it, since you have the microphone again, um, what, what would you, what did you say and what would you have, have added to that given, you know, a couple minutes to, to brag about Jesus? Right. Uh, you know, it's such an emotional thing. I mean, you think about when somebody says, what do you love about Jesus? Oh, and you know, all the things come through your mind and whatnot. Um, but I'm not even sure where I heard it from, but I do read a good bit of, of of the ancients and 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 in the, in the Protestant reformers too, and I believe I believe it was you know that it was said um, by Calvin that he says that God looks at you and says that you're worth my life, mm. and so you know as I would probably would expouse on a little more had I felt like I had a little bit more time I would have said that like you know to many people uh, whether you have belief or unbelief that people would look at that statement and sort of say that's, you know, it's a heartfelt statement. It's, you know, it's a wonderful statement to make and, and something to build your life upon. But, but it was to be just be a statement. But to the people who are lost and forgotten mm-hmm. <laughs> and left behind, that just means everything. Yeah. And that, you know, these kinds of people 
are the people that Jesus, they become the cornerstones of his teachings and his ministries, right? Yeah, the marginalized. Exactly. And, and so Jesus sits with them, you know, he dignifies them with just his presence. He edifies them with his truth and his knowledge, and he heals them and he loves them. And, you know, he always has time for them. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's Zacchaeus up in the tree, if it's the woman at the well, or if it's the woman that you preached on about three months ago mm-hmm. that hemorrhaged for two decades. Mm-hmm. He always has time for them. Yeah. And there's really only one subset of people in the Bible that he really doesn't have time for. And when he does make time for them, they usually wish that he didn't because he rebukes <laughs> them pretty heavily. Yeah. And that's the people of self-righteous indignation. Yeah. You know, just to, to leave it at that subset. Because all that humble themselves will be exalted. Yeah. But those who exalt themselves oh, yeah. will one day be humbled. That's so true. And so, you know, when you guys were preaching on dealing with evil and the devil, I guess the only thing I would have said in in, in addition to what I did say was that like the time when that entity enters your mind mm-hmm. and says to you, you know, all this really isn't real. Mm. That the earth's here by time plus matter plus chance, the accidental collocation of atoms and boom, you're just here. It's randomness. And let's say, for example, that maybe that there's a holy and righteous God, but do you think that he could really love you after the things that you said and done or better yet, Christian, the things you've left unsaid and left undone. Goodness. You can just look back at him in thoughtful prayer and say, you know, you're right, but the author of the universe <laughs> says that I'm worth his life. Yeah. And I believe him. Uh, that's so good. It's so good. And it's a reminder that we all need, you know, that 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 what you said like this life is is not by chance but it's authored and it's uh intentional and so i i said this probably a while back when when ruthie was going through her surgery and i I said something about your involvement in that i think i called you a pulmonologist or something like that (laughs) i don't even know what that is but it's a profusion profusionist that's right yes and so you you have the opportunity to look at the human heart often mm-hmm. right uh i think maybe just a quick question after you've seen the human heart i mean how how is it possible to think that that happened by chance do you mean the incidents with ruthie well not just the incidents with ruthie but that also but but literally when the the human heart is cracked open in oh. front of you and you're able to see the intricacies of that like the 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 detail in which things have to work in which they work you know yeah. i think you told me once before you don't know very many surgeons no. that are atheistic no uh, because of the the insight that they have into the human body yeah i mean the, the intricacies of just human physiology let alone the anatomy and all how it all works together yeah i mean the the, the probabilities are astronomical that you could you know, you're really made for many different environments, right? There's yeah. some people that live in the Arctic. There's some people that live in the deserts. There's some people that... Your body can acclimate to any of those things. Mm. 
as long as it has food, water, and oxygen. Mm-hmm. And we know that those all are cyclical in abundance, right? And so it just cannot be by chance and chance alone that all this worked out. I don't care about the argument for the multiverse. I don't care about string theory or anything else. Mm -hmm. It's too much intelligent design. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you just took the heart just, just as the only organ you looked at, let alone the eye and, of course, the brain, I mean, you would just, you would be amazed at the adaptations and the ability it is to defend itself from invaders and everything else. It's just, there's just, there's no chance. Yeah. It, the probabilities are too high. Yeah. Well, that, that, um, you know, your occupation vocation came later on in life. You've been doing that for 25 years, but your journey of faith has, has been a long time, you know, a very yes. long time. And depending on where we want to start that story, <laughs> um, I know a little bit of that, you know, but I'd love to hear, and I think it would be really great for you to share with Exchange a little bit about your journey of faith. And, you know, there's obviously lots of lots of mileposts in there. Uh, I know there's a, a um, really strong and, and faithful background in the Catholic Church growing up. Yeah. Uh, and then there's, there's moments of seeing Jesus in different lights and struggling with, uh, how that all is, is resembled and, uh, comes together. So you can pick a spot Todd, <laughs> and, 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 uh, just take us on a little bit of a journey in your faith journey. Okay. I'll try to make it brief as I can. Uh, so I grew up 12 years of Jesuit Catholic school. Um, and let me just first off saying that I owe a debt of gratitude to the nuns, to the priests, mm-hmm. to the elders of the Catholic Church that I grew up in, mm-hmm. Christ our King in Charleston, and Bishop England. Um, you know, for the lack of, I didn't have great parental um, sort of situation. My both of my my um, my true mother left when I was probably about like six years old, mm. and then. My father remarried. Unfortunately, as most alcoholics do, they marry someone that also has an addiction issue and stuff. So basically, I was raised by the church in a sense. I mean, I spent as much time as I could, uh, whether it be in school or whether it be at church or, or, or someplace else. But obviously I was indoctrinated into Catholicism and everything that comes with it. Mm-hmm. And to, for sake of time, I would just say the semi-Pelagian idea of Catholicism is that, that Jesus did his part, and so now you must do your part, mm-hmm. again, to earn your salvation, right? right? Yeah. We all know about the, the pitfalls that come with that. Even the intercessory prayer, the making the acts of you know, perfect contrition, confessing, taking the Eucharist over, over, and over, and over again. The only problem with Catholicism is when you really do have an issue or a problem, say it be divorce or addiction or some of those other things, which the Catholic Church has has dealt with in, in wonderful ways of help, but at the same time, on a personal level, they don't give you much of guidance or divinely guidance, I should say, mm-hmm. in that area. And so, 
what I became to sort of understand after my divorce or try to figure out was where was my place in this? Well, you know, I couldn't go through the mechanisms of religiosity to absolve myself from these things mm. because that's all it was, was just religious, you know, acrobatics. Mm-hmm. And so basically I began to wonder if this was the thing that was really for me or not. And don't get me wrong. I liked being the master of my own salvation. You know, yeah. I could, a plus B plus C, perfect quotient, everything's nice and neat, boom, you're absolved and off you go. Yeah. But even that seemed like, you know, a falsehood to itself. And it, and so I began to question and wonder these things. And so I, I, I just sort of re- started reading, I believe you call it the Reformers, mm-hmm. Calvin, Knox, Luther, Zwigler, all those things. Because we in, in school I'd gotten the Counter-Reformation right. and all that St. Ignatius had given to us. And so... Where was a perfect, more perfect place to start than start with, um, with Luther mm-hmm. and Philip uh, McLankton, I think it was his, the guy that helped him write the catechism and whatnot. And I was reading through Luther, and you know, when he sat there and he was being confronted by the church and being said to, you know, Luther, you can recant all the things that you've said in your inerrant books, and you know, you only have, you can do so right now, and in that famous time in the Edict of Worms, he asked, you know, most people think that Luther's this bombastic thing that sort of looked at people and said, no, 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 you know, here I stand, you can do no other, all this stuff. But he was, but he actually asked for 24 hours so that he could go in silent prayer. You know, I was great at reciting prayers. Mm-hmm. Stop, lady rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee, let the blood and the water from thy riven side be of sin that double cure, blah, 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 you know? Mm-hmm. I was great at reciting other people's prayer, but I never, I didn't have a prayer life. Mm. That was the first thing that struck me. I was like, this guy's going up against, basically, the greatest empire the world has ever seen in the Catholic Church, and it's only one of him and he asked for 24 hours to pray. Hmm. So he walks up those steps, and he recites, you know, many times he goes and asks God, am I doing the right thing? Is this what you want me to do? Another thing. And the only thing, that I, from what my reading was, you maybe have something different or might be more educated in this than me, but he, he's, he keeps re- re- reciting that the, that the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Over and over in between his prayers to God. And so as I was reading that, I said, he's got to be getting that from the Bible. You know, as a, as a good Catholic, I didn't know the Bible for anything. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I ran to the Bible and I just, t- or maybe the computer or my phone, and I typed it in, the righteous shall live by faith. And so you go, first it goes to, I mean, it's Galatians 3.10, where he, you know, where he talks about that no one has been, you know, absolved from God's wrath through the law. Mm-hmm. It's the righteous that live by faith. And then I went to Romans 1.7, and he's talking about the same thing. And then the writer of Hebrews says that the, the, the righteous shall live by faith, and that no one, that he shrinks away from that, he will be absolved and be washed away forever. And so you're sort of like, this is something that's important in the Bible, something important that God wants you to know. So then I go back to Habakkuk. Mm-hmm. And as he's arguing with God, and I love that, that you could argue with God. I mean, you never, in the Catholic mm-hmm. Church, you never argue with God, right? right. Yeah. You, know, you never even argue with Mary, let alone the Catholic right. of God. <laughs> yeah. And so it was just sort of like, 
The righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. And as I dug into it more and stuff, and of course, discovering, what is it, the five sayings of the sola, sola Christus, sola gracia, sola feta, sola scriptura, sola bidia gloris. So it was just sort of like Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone, scripture alone. You know, I was probably more Protestant then than I was like when I got baptized here. Yeah. <laughs> because I was just sort of like, you know, this just isn't for me. Yeah. And so I started looking for different things and I was reading through the book of Hebrews because I just loved it. I didn't know why, but it, but as we were talking about sure. at lunch, yeah. it tells the full story yeah. of Judaism and the Christianity and right. everything else and Jesus' saving power. And I was just reading... You know, trying to work my way through the book and asking myself, you know, if if Luther, you know, Luther was to say that it's his great exchange, right? That it's our sin for his righteousness. And we used to live back in the villages, behind the ball fields, behind mm-hmm. food line, and we're. I'm driving past, and I can only assume that it was Ed. I look over, and somebody's putting out a sign that says Exchange Church. <laughs> and I was like, you got to be kidding me. You're, gonna, you're not making it that easy for me. Yeah. So I go somewhere else, and I come back. And Jerry, this is when Jerry and I were trying to leave. We were leaving the Catholic Church and going someplace else. Mm-hmm. And Jerry comes back, and she goes, hey, you know, there's this church right up on the you know, right where it meets at Roseville Elementary, and that's they're an offshoot of of North Wake and mm-hmm. stuff. And I said, and she said maybe we should go to that. And I was like, okay. And I, obviously, I need to go check this out. Yeah. So I went and I checked. You know, and we went to the <laughs> into the gymnasium. Yeah, and, yeah it would seem so weird, well, <sighs> especially like coming out of the Catholic Church, where you know the the auditorium, or I don't, I don't really, I'm ignorant on that, what they call their, their worship center. Yeah, the cathedral. The cathedral. (laughs) It's a vast difference. Yeah, Yeah. it was. Um, I mean, it was, but as I told, you know, I talked to Corey and all the other guys, I'm like embarrassed of Mm -hmm. like the things I felt when I walked into there because, you know, two seconds in there, there were more heartfelt true believers in there than probably a month full of Sundays in the Catholic Church. Mm. I mean, there was just, you know, all the pomp and the circumstance was gone. All the ornaments, the statues, the paintings were all just wiped away. It was just, it was just Jesus, just Jesus. Mm. And I was thinking to myself, you know, I kept getting drawn back and I would go back and forth to each one until one day I was, I remember telling Mac, I was like, I was in the Catholic Church and I just got it finished. I think I was at St. Luke's or I can't remember, but I was like, I'm in the wrong place. Hmm. I'm in the wrong place. I need to be back in the gymnasium. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it sort of went from there. And the baptism thing was a hard thing to let go of because my birth mother had baptized me and was adamant about baptizing me and and I kind of only I held on to that because you know at least she loved me enough to baptize me because in the Catholic faith and I'm assuming that some of the other uh, sacramental churches that's everything Mm -hmm. right you know you're baptized and then you're good for life you know the rest of it's just you know picking up the pieces when you fall down and so that was a tough thing but having that talk with you about 
that it doesn't have to be an or. Maybe it can just be an and. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to lose that wonderful idea that your mother baptized you because she loved you. Yeah. It could be now because it's your faith now. That's right. And it's your walk yeah. alone now. Yeah, we talked about even even her not knowing all things and maybe hoping that that would absolve mm-hmm. you forever, right? Mm-hmm. There was a hope of faith for you in that moment. Yeah, that was awesome. And I think understanding like that hope of faith realized when Jesus walks in the door, mm-hmm. right? And you open, he knocks and you open. And, and that's the realization of a hope your mother had for you. you know? mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think, um, you know, in a lot of ways, we, we talked about this long ago, that, that it honors, I think, the act of what she did, you know, to baptize you, um, hoping that you would be good with God. <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. No. It's, I mean, I, you know, I had no argument after that. I mean, I was, just, you know, it, it's not, you know, it's not that obviously the conviction of, of your words were, were enough, but, you know, I was just, I don't know. It's really, it, it's hard when you've grown up in a situation where you are the master of your own salvation yeah. in a sense. And I remember if anybody hasn't read The Prodigal God by Tim Keller, mm-hmm. you, you're just you're you're missing an incredible book and a learning experience. But I remember when he said that if you have the older brother, speaking of you know the older brother, younger brother, prodigal son, right. if you have the older brother's mentality, then Jesus is your mantra, Jesus is your guru, Jesus is your boss. Mm-hmm. But he's not your savior. Hmm. You're too busy trying to do that yourself. And I coupled that with your words, and I was like, "You're right." I'm, the problem with me is I'm putting myself in all of this. Hmm. And when you gave that wonderful sermon, you know, from Isaiah, that on our best day we're but we'll call it oily rags, mm-hmm. and then anything I try to put on top of Jesus is a big bunch of explicative. Yeah. You know, and but I could feel that in myself that I was, you know, when I inserted myself, you know, into those things, I I could feel that I just that I was missing something. Mm -hmm. And so as I began to sort of search for, you know, something again, I remember hearing Tim Keller talk about that you need to be melted and moved by the gospel. Goodness. That your heart has to meet your head in some way that you're melted and moved so Jesus becomes enough for you, you know, in that sense. And and that's what it was between our conversations and then, of course, the church and everybody else in the church. You know, I could just, I just sat back and I love sitting in the very, very, very back. Yeah. I wish I could be in the very, 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 very <laughs> back. But I love sitting back there and watching everybody, you know, um, and maybe one day I won't be such a, I won't be such a watcher. I'll be more of a participator. But I think I'm finally kind of starting to do that. Oh, yeah. In a sense, um, you guys have so much to teach me, and I just, um, it's just you know, and that you are, if anything else, that if anybody ever listens to this, you should believe a hundred percent that he says you're worth his life. And for that huge chasm that he crossed to unite man back with God, I mean, even if you don't believe the story, you have to sort of give it, you know, 
you have to give it jurisprudence in a sense to look at it and sort of say like, I don't know if I believe it all, but that's that's a pretty profound statement. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. It's one that changes everything. Yes. And I think it's changed the way, obviously, that you approach God. And it, just really quick as we wrap up, what what's that like now? You know, knowing and living living out of your salvation rather than living for your salvation, right? Like, uh, w- what is that like now? Well, first of all, it's real. Yeah. It's not, you know, it, once I extracted myself from from doing, you know, from having anything to do with my salvation, you know, again, you, you want to know more about Christ. You want to know more about Jesus in a way by which he goes and do that. And then, then you come to grips with just how much he did for you. Mm-hmm. And then from that becomes the change, right? In metanoia, of turning around in a sense. You know, in, in the Catholic Church it meant penance, that you paid a penance to get to it. And I just re- remember knowing that and then seeing how it was mistranslated. It really means to be repentant. Mm. turn around for the things that he did for you. And so basically the change in me sort of just like, you know, he did for me. These are the things I need to start doing for him mm-hmm. in that sense. And so now I remember saying, you know, I, I may do a, a lot of important things at the hospital. And I'm not belittling what we did for Ruthie. I'm very uh, yes. proud to be pro- yes. part of that, and I'm, I'm yes. glad that she's there. But I always say, the job that I'm most enjoyable at and the job that I, that I I feel like you know I'm closest with him at is when I put the chairs out. Because where else do I get to make a place that people can come in and worship him? You know, that's, that's incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. It's a privilege. Well, it's been a privilege, really, Todd, to watch your faith journey. Hmm. I mean, over the past, uh, I don't know, a couple years, few years, um, yeah. it's been... It's been uh, joyful for me. I, I don't. I can't think of a, another word, but to uh, to watch your journey of faith, and even sometimes after sermons, earlier on, um, you know, Todd is one of the most well-read people that I know. <laughs> And he'd come to me and say, you'd come to me and say, but what about the, you know, and, um, and I, and I watched as, as literally I felt like the Holy Spirit started to break some of those things down, Oh yeah, you know, in your own study of scripture. And it's like, well, we'd look at it and, and you'd like, yeah, it's right there. It's right there. You know? And I, I just watched the wrestling and I honestly, it was almost like the, you know, God and Jacob thing of just like that wrestling <laughs> I just think the same uh, of thing. just, you know, in, and I feel like, you know, there was a moment where I felt like, Oh, Todd's walking with a limp. Now. That's right. <laughs> you know, Todd's walking with a limp and God has, is, is, has taken something, yeah. you know, and I think replaced it with something uh, so much better. Todd, thank you for uh, opening your, your life, your faith, your journey up to us uh, to exchange. Uh, we're better because of you, man. Mm. And so I hope that exchange, I hope that you can walk in this story with Todd, engage him on it, uh, have a meal together, lean into your own story, and we'll see you next time on Exchanging Stories.